There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 625. Uh, I'm here in Seattle right now, staring at the Space Needle with my good friend, April Richardson, who will be opening... Why are you waving? I just waved. I just waved to the... Wave? I don't know why. It was just you, a reflex you've action. You've done an audio podcast I know, of your own. I know. I woke up 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I just waved at the phone. Up? I'm sorry. I texted April for breakfast to, to see if she wanted to get breakfast this morning, and she showed up 15 minutes later. She was like, your text woke me up. Yeah, it was my alarm. But you yeah. went to bed at like midnight. It's like 10 a.m. Uh, yeah, and you're publicly shaming me? Well, Because I, <laughs> I enjoy my rest. <laughs> I don't know, I just like sleeping. I'm a championship sleeper, it's one of my favorite activities. How long would you have slept otherwise? I, there's no answer to that question. So you could still just be asleep? I could wake up at like 2pm. Like tomorrow? Yeah, like. yes! <laughs> I have absolutely slept for 24 hours before. We're uh, performing uh, April's opening for me, and uh, I'm going to be in Seattle tonight. I think there's a couple tickets left for the 10.30 show with the APM show sold out at the Neptune Theater, and then uh, tomorrow night in Vancouver, So in the following weekend, Portland and Denver. So go to funcomfortabletour.com for uh, tickets and info on that. Also, at midnight's going back to midnight, <laughs> uh, the nightly show where it's supposed to yeah. be. Cause that's Don't be confused by the name. It's been weird to say. At midnight at 1130. Yeah, totally. Uh, but uh, uh, Larry, Larry Wilmore's The Nightly Show premieres uh, next week, so that's exciting. A new, a, a new, a new flag shall be planted in late totally. nights. And uh, so it'll be Daily Show, Wilmore, and then, and then At Midnight. What are you working on? Is there anything you want to plug or promote or talk about? I'm really just practicing my sleeping. I'm getting really good at it. I'm going <laughs> pro. Going? I'm going to go you're pro like gold, soon. You're a gold medalist sleeper. No, well, then if you go pro, well, yeah, if you go pro, that's good. Then you can start earning the big Why bucks. Why can't there be, like, an Olympic... I feel like that's discriminatory to not have professional sleeping in some capacity. There, there are some Olympic events where you like, seemed I impressed that I could still sleep. do it. Yeah, totally. I mean, come on, curling. Do we need it? So last night, April and I uh, grabbed some dinner near, not too far from the hotel, and we watched a giant <laughs> truck <laughs> yes! spend forty-five minutes trying so to reverse into a parking structure, and it, he almost every time he almost. Hit like plowed into it, yeah. Well, into a I person felt, or a car or a yeah. tree. I felt really rude. We're having this nice dinner, and I caught it caught my eye, so I like turned and I was like fully staring at this car for or this truck for like twenty minutes, and then you were like, "Yeah," and it was a it's Seattle, it's a city. We're not in like a like it was a tiny city street, 
This guy was trying to back into some crazy parking deck, and also the like oncoming traffic had to sit and wait for it for like twenty minutes. And then I was just like so captivated by it that you were like, "This could be a good reality show." It would be a show. good show. The show. The, so we came up with the show uh, called Backing In, Backing which is in. basically just twenty-two minutes of a bunch of different truckers <laughs> like trying to get into truck. precarious totally. parking spots. Like, which it could be on. T- I mean, isn't? T- I would watch the shit. Out I of totally it. would, and like some channel already has like ice road truckers and. Things where it is just like a dude driving on ice, so why can't we just now have like those dudes when they're done driving their ice routes tonight? I'm now you gotta in. back into a tiny space. Will this load of artichokes make yeah. it to Fort Worth <laughs> <laughs> in the exact location that it is intended? Right. In this like three foot by three foot square or whatever that guy was trying to back into. Yeah, it was so. And there were times because we were sitting at the window of the restaurant, so like there were many times where it looked like he was just gonna straight up plow right well, into and, our and, and table. you know what's 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 funny about about watching someone trying to get into a parking space that they should say should not be trying to get into mm-hmm. there really is like a dramatic arc to it where you're oh, like yeah. oh like there's a beginning and how's he going to get yes. and then there's a there's definitely a, a, a midsection like the body of the story and then of course the the, the climax yes. does he make it in does he hit something yes. does he have to just drive away and give up well you were like yeah <laughs> after like 10 minutes of it you were like this is where I get a new career and I just get, <laughs> get out, out of the and car. Like, throw the keys the, I was so stressed yes. I and it was such an immense amount of stress for the guy. Me too. And there was traffic because there was, an tra- there was traffic yes. waiting. He stopped traffic for like 40 minutes. Yes. And, get that fucking and so it was like not only the annoyance of stopping traffic, but the people in traffic are watching what is supposed to be this guy's job. Like, it's like, it's your job. You're supposed to be good at it because you do it for a living. And so in front of that audience of us, the people in cars, he was like, fuck. Well, and, like, and also the, you could tell near the end. He was getting more and more erratic, like yes. the, like the pulling forward and the braking, the truck, yes, would, and it, like not caring if he was going up. On, at first, I think he was trying to avoid going up on curves and stuff, and then then he was just like, no, I don't give it. a shit. <laughs> yeah, as long as I don't like plow into a building, I don't care. This has to get in here somehow. But then uh, ultimately, the, the the he made it in, and everything turned out fine. Yes. But as we we just did a pitch for backing in, it better get picked up by some network. Well, yeah, but we have to. This is the official record of like. Don't steal our idea, everybody. Now we don't have to mail it to ourselves. No, we we can we can just email it in a in right. podcast form. Yes. Uh, this episode is uh, Ethan Hawke, which was rad. He was awesome. What? <laughs> the look on your face is hilarious. Like the the. Was he nice? He was amazing. How did he smell? <laughs> I want to know. Good. <laughs> April got such like a wanton, sexy look no! on her face when I said the name Ethan Hawke. That's not true. I <gasps> no, because I was like, I want to know how he smells. Number one, he smells great. All right, and he dresses great, and okay. he's charming, and he's everything that you would want an Ethan Hawke to be. Okay, so that you could be his Lady Hawk. No, I, mean, I was not. I, he was the. I mean, by day, guy in by day, bites. one of you is a wolf, and by night, one of you is a bird. <laughs> okay, in that case, then yes. Uh, he's promoting Predestination, which is in theaters and on demand now. So you should go see it because uh, Ethan Hawke does some super fun, cool movies, and uh, he was an excellent podcast guest. All right, here's uh, soon to be husband of uh, April Richardson, Ethan Hawke. Wow, this podcast. Number 625. Now entering Nerdist.com. We all set? 
That's your room. This is happening now. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited. Am I close enough to the mic or do I? Should I be? I, I should be like here too, right? Oh, is this too close to the mic, buddy? Is it? Or what's it? No, I'll be I'll How's like this. Is this good? Are recording? How about this, Katie? Is this sound okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here, I'm here. Oh, Katie. You produce this podcast so well. You look so beautiful. Grace, <laughs> teacher. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, don't cut any of that out. Yeah. And, uh, uh, how's it going? Pretty good. Are you, is this, is this a crazy press day? No. I mean, it's a crazy press moment in my life, you know, to have the kind of shameless, uh, parade of overpraised alley that, um, boyhood is on, <laughs> you, you know, and, um, simultaneously having another movie come out. Yeah, you, you know it. It, it kind did of, not take several years of your life. No, it did not. <laughs> you know, um, it was strange though. I did have Boyhood and Predestination were both premiered at South by Southwest. You know, this year yeah. and I showed them, and it was fun to. I watched the movies one. You know, one night was one, and one night was the other. And when it was over, my dad said to me, "Wow, you're in two time travel movies," and um, <laughs> and he was really right. I, I didn't think of it like that. Did your did your dad did your dad live in Texas? Or yeah, he lives in Dallas. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. South by Southwest is great. Are it's you, a fun one. Are you yeah. going this year? I hope so. I like going to it. I mean, it's gotten so damn huge. I don't know if it, it's you know the whole internet aspect of it or the gaming. You know, there's some part of it I don't understand that has turned the city into absolute chaos. Yeah, the interactive like it used to yeah, just be. Drunk music fans, and now it's drunk nerds, and then drunk music. Yeah, fans. on top of it, yeah. and movie buffs too. So they're now all colliding in their alcoholism and <laughs> you know, creating chaos. I was at uh, I was that details Mavericks issue. Oh yeah, I was in that, and we were at a dinner at the Soho House. Yeah, I stopped by that thing for like four and a half seconds, right? Yeah, and but I'm notoriously bad at just walking up to people and going, "Hey." Um, I'm in this thing that you're in because I always expect that person to go. I don't give a fuck, and yeah. then uh, and then I, and then and then I slink away. Yeah. <laughs> so. I always feel the same way. I was just at the AFI um, year end thing where they kind of host this luncheon where the their favorite ten TV shows and their favorite ten movies they just kind of host a luncheon and you're there. And I mean. It's so surreal to be in there. You know, Clint Eastwood is there, and Kirk Douglas is there, and Steven Spielberg is there, and Meryl Streep is there, and Brad and Angie are sneaking in the back. And I almost couldn't talk to anybody because I felt like they would, you know, I don't know, look down from the mountaintop. And the but you've been, but you've been cool. working just as long as I guess all so. Of those but you people. still, there's something about them that is different. I feel. I but I I can't. With the or maybe I'm not them. With so. the exception of Brad and Angelina, I would imagine that everyone probably feels that way, where it's like, oh no, everyone's different. Brad and Angelina me. are pretty fabulous. I They're mean, pretty they, great. They, yeah, I mean, but I mean, they they and uh, I mean, fabulous with all caps too. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're just like. Oh. You immediately feel diminished in some way, you know. Like, oh, that's who God likes best. And then, and then when uh, they leave the room, you all have like sunburns, like partial sunburns. Yeah, on half your like, face, like a yeah. flat, like, like yeah. Richard Dreyfuss and close encounters. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's right, like a flash right, fry right. that you get. It's like circles around your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's worth it because you're lucky to gaze upon them yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in real life. The film protects the mortal people. From the full effect of what it would be like to be around. Yeah, it's not exactly. It's like staring yeah. at the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Like it is a little bit like that. Your face it. will just melt. Keep your eyes shut. Close. <laughs> but but like I said, you've been doing. I mean, 
Explorers was like 85? 30 years, man. <gasps> this is my 30-year anniversary of acting in movies. That's it was amazing. a weird thing for me to realize. I would turn 14 on the set of Explorers, and I turned 44 this year uh, on the set of this uh, you know, Chet Baker movie that I was working on. And that's when it dawned on me. I was like, wow, wait. I've been having birthdays on sets for 30 years. I should be a lot better at this job. That's what <laughs> my first thought was like, wow, man. It, it is amazing when you start, because we're almost the same age, exactly the same age, but it, it's strange to, when you start getting into numbers like 20 and 30, I've been doing a thing for 30 years. It sounds I've, strange. Yeah, it does it? sound strange. It does seem, it reminds me, there's a line in, um, in Boyhood that Patricia Arquette says, like, I just thought there'd be more. And I know what she means. You, you know, it's like, it's, I don't want to be doing anything else. I mean, I love acting. It's what I want to do. But, I mean, imagine if you had been doing your paper route for 30 years. I mean, I was also doing my paper route at 13. <laughs> and um, thank God I dropped that. Yeah. Well, the, uh, Jason Robards has a very similar line in Parenthood, if you remember that movie. Yeah. Where he's talking to Steve Martin, who's his son in the movie. And he was like, you never crossed the finish line. You never spiked the ball. And it's just this moment of like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> you know, know, because you keep... But you, it is true too, you know. That's I a, guess, but do you think? Do you think it's because we have these romanticized ideals of like, well, someday I'll do this, and then that'll make my life this quality, and then those things, you know, because you're so caught up as you're doing them that you don't stop to notice them. Yeah, I mean, I really think so. You know, what's that? There's that Dylan line from um, uh, Ramon to Ramona. You've been tricked into thinking that the finishing end is at hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's this idea that keeps, I mean, even with, you know, the movie industry, they they are always trying to trick us all into that there's the possibility of winning, you know, that that there's one movie's going to be better than another or that somehow in your life you're going to win. But the trouble is there's always, the sun comes up the next day. And even... You know, the, the, always every year, the kind of year in movies ends with one person winning the Academy Award or something, right? And and everybody else lost. Ultimately, it's kind of like the NCAA for that. I mean, eventually, everybody but one person loses, right? right? And even that person loses the next year, <laughs> right? Do, you, you know, and it's the same way with life. I mean, inevitably, we're all going to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all going underground. We're all going back to from wherever it was we came. And there is no winning. And that's, I think, what Robards means in, the, in that, that movie. is like you're, people act like, oh, my son graduated high school. I'm done parenting. You're not. You think, oh, I found love. I'm happy. Well, you're not. That's a daily thing, you know. Um, oh, I'm in a hit movie. I've made it. You know, no sooner have you made it than you're passe again. Right. And then that feels even worse because you got your chance and you blew it. <laughs> you, you know, um, remember that moment? I love that moment in um, oh, what's that great movie? Stallone and um, De Niro or Copland. And I love this moment. It's an amazing thing. De Niro looks at Stallone in the eyes and he says, "You had your chance and you blow it." <laughs> and, and, and it was kind of a wonderful moment in cinema because there was a subconscious to that moment. You know, of because Stallone, nobody. I mean, the Rocky Fist; these were unbelievable moments. And at the same time, there was a thing because Stallone was reinventing himself at that very moment. Yeah, life isn't ever blown. Stallone was great in Copland, and he was having a little comeback, right? But you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of like this weird and infinity circle. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the infinity circle because that's kind of what predestination is. Mm-hmm. It's a strange uh, dramatization of the infinity symbol of life, you mm-hmm. know. Um, 
but now I'm riffing. So no, no, keep keep, keep riffing. So I can no, keep riffing because I. You know, I, I don't know. It's so strange that, that we're talking about this because I also just had the same experience with. Uh, I was somewhere and uh, the song "Glory Days" by Springsteen came yeah, on. It's right. another one of those songs of like, uh, yeah. well, we had our time, but now we're just getting drunk in a bar talking about our yeah. time, but it's over now. And yeah. even at that point, he was—I think he was only in his thirties, yeah, mid thirties, yeah. I think. And, Jesus. And at that point, he was still like, "Well, we had our chance," and. You know, it's strange. And then that turned out to be his biggest album of all time, and now everything's <laughs> in reference to that. You know, right? Mm. I think it, I think the important thing to remember is that um, it, it, it's that it's all is the, that you and I were on the Mavericks list. Up that the details is the magazine. most important thing. I think and that makes us slightly the, better than the most. Else. Yeah, it does. It yeah. makes us just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. at I mean, least you know. And if not now, maybe then. It, Forever that Nor- will last. Yeah, norm- normies will find they're they're fine. Like normal people, like K- Katie and Kyle uh, uh, and, yeah. and everyone else. Normal people are fine. They're, they're fine, but, but they're not mavericks. No, they're not. They didn't by get details that, they don't magazine get that distinction. And I feel like that is an indelible mark that makes <laughs> that us makes immortal. us a little bit better. Yeah, that makes and, us. The f- and when we get to the pearly gates of heaven, mm-hmm. you know, Saint Peter will say, "You maverick, you. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to take over here." He's going to say. One of the things I love sometimes when you do a period movie. You get this thing where like they'll inundate the set with period magazines and newspapers mm-hmm. and stuff, and you read like the hot list from 1976, and it's you know nine out of the ten people are people you never heard of, <laughs> right? Or, and, and and one of them is somebody that's a total goofball, now. right? You know, you're like you know, yeah. Uh, and so it, it does. They're not mavericks, obviously. I mean, ours will last. Ours right. will not be that way. Right. I guarantee you, people will remember us, and they will know that we are important for us. And like Lee Majors from yeah, 1976, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like who has uh, never, never uh, gone away. His star has never diminished, <laughs> nor should it. But it, it. But I think I think the important thing to to try to remember, and hopefully the wisdom you get when you start to get older, is that it's not like I think specific goals and goal achievement are really just guides for the process right it's really more about like what type of a person you become in as you pursue that thing because once you get it then it's like well you got to do something else and i think this is gonna i'm gonna really wax the corny here really wax the corny but i've been spending almost a year now talking with people about the film boyhood Mm -hmm. you know and people often you know the architecture of the movie is original and and there's there's something just really unique about the attempt of telling a story over 12 years. But what is the movie about? You know, like that's one of the things I keep always like, well, what the hell is so moving about this? You know, and I keep thinking about that play, um, Our Town. Mm-hmm. You remember I, we did it in my high school and at the end of it, you know, it's this person dies and they get to kind of revisit. It's a little bit like it's a wonderful life. It's all yeah. the same thing where they get to look at their life and all of a sudden they miss eating breakfast. You know, they miss seeing their sister walk to school. And you start to realize it's just the minutia of life that is wonderful. We, we think that being a maverick or being a big shot or winning this prize or having these insignificant relationships or whatever are going to be the – I mean by relationships, I mean these moments, a wedding or an achievement, a prom, a, a party, whatever it is, the Oscars, whatever these things. We think that they're going to be the good stuff. And the good stuff is like waking up in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, the good stuff is the stuff that's for free. It always is. And I mean, that's why I say I wax the corny, but there's that line, I forget who said, you know, the secret to life is enjoying the passing of time. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, that's like essentially, you know, if I had to do boyhood in a pithy little 
statement, you know? I mean, that, that really is it. It's, it's getting up and having the perfect eggs for breakfast, but also being a maverick. I want to make it clear that being I a do, maverick it, is the it, most important it thing. It is definitely the most important yeah. thing. Yeah, so, and I mean, I think if I we, do, if it's all right to say I envy us a little bit. <laughs> that's you know okay. I mean? yeah, yeah, I envy us, and I, I do feel a little bit sorry for I envy else. the fact that you're still able to feel human emotions, because uh, uh, as a maverick, I'm above it's, it all. It's hard. It's yeah, hard for you. the I omnipotence know. is really well, kind of a yeah, burden. Yeah, well, But beyond that, uh, but, but I think it's important for... And, and I think that's why people can get so depressed so easily because they think, oh, this thing will fix me, this thing will fix me, and then it doesn't. And then they get more depressed because that thing does. didn't fix them. So it's almost like, no, no, your time is now. Fix your shit now. But I don't think, I don't think you know, the idea of glory days of being like every – it's always it, – you know, it's all behind you. Like you can still – like you were sort of saying with Stallone – you, you know, unless you're in the ground, you can still pretty much, in most cases, continue to do things and create you and can. stimulate. It's never over. The story's never over until it is. I mean, but I mean, while there's life, there's hope. There's all that. That's the Stephen Hawking line, you know? I mean, that, that, you know, and that's true for our relationships in our life that have gone bad, too. You know, I always, I mean, any of us that live any times at all, you, you I'm always jealous. I don't really believe these people who say they have no, you know, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't change anything. I have no, and I know what they mean maybe because it's, it's the suffering and the things you did wrong that taught you things that leave you where I I get all that. But if I could go back in time, I, I would fix things. But I do think that while time is happening, the possibility for healing always exists. Sure. I'm always amazed. My relationship with my own childhood is still changing. You know, so well, as I become a parent, I see my memories with different eyes, you know, and, and so I'm like, oh, that I just I don't see it as one dimensional as I did, you know, and I know, you know, my daughter's 16. I've been working with Eller Coltrane, who's 20, or I've been working with Sarah Snook from Predestination, who's, you know, in her mid 20s. And I, I'm older than them now, and I can see the eyes with which they're looking at the world, and they kind of. It's just, it takes you a while. There's just a certain orientation and you see the world through what you're getting and not getting. Mm-hmm. You see the world, you know, through what you want it to be rather than what it is. And there's a frustration and disappointment and a pain over that it's not what you want it to be, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the same true of our romantic relationships. You know, we have this idealized version of what lovers are supposed to look and sound like. You know, and then you get inside a relationship and it's different than that. And is this right? Is this not right? Is this okay? Or what are the, you know, when they say relationships at work, is this, is this what they mean? <laughs> it, or is this, is this too much work? You know, what's, and we don't really, none of us have, you know, well, there's no, because there's an idealized version, especially, you know, living in a cinematic culture, there's an idealized uh, black or white. It's got to be, it's either this perfect thing or it's not, uh, and that's not. Then it's like no, everything. There's there's a lot of elements to a thing, and there's a lot of. Ups that's and downs. exactly what. I, thank you for making my point. That was what I was trying to say is that you're neither a good parent nor a bad parent. Um, you're somebody who's, who's living, and a lot of good parents make bad decisions, and y- y- you know, and, and the there's always an opportunity to return to center. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so and as long as you don't spend too much time focusing on the past or the glory days or whatever or what you did wrong and and realize like oh well i can make active choices now like you don't want to you just don't you don't want to live too much in the past and the future exactly you don't want to lacerate yourself and you don't want to uh, aggrandize yourself too mm-hmm. much you know i mean 
I don't know. If you so okay, so you said because I'm one of these people. Well, you know, there are things that I think I would go back and change. I think I probably wouldn't be. I think when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have been so hard on myself in the sense of like, oh, I suck and I'm never going to be good at anything. Like, I think I would have been nicer to myself. Yeah. What What would you What would you go back and do differently? Well, I think of the thing. I interviewed Chris Christopherson once. I was doing this profile for him, and I asked him that question. You know, I said like, because he was talking about the first time he went. He was in the military, and he stopped by the Grand Ole Opry, and he was just watching. He was so nervous, and all he wanted to be was a songwriter, and he just couldn't see how he could ever be in that world. You know, and and I said, what would what advice would you say to that young man now, like if you could? And he had that same thought. He said, I just tell myself to relax. You know that. You know if you if you hold a ball underwater, it's eventually going to float up. I thought I had to do all this swimming, you know, but it eventually just things generally go up all by themselves, and we spend a lot of time hating ourselves, and that turn makes you like be arrogant or insecure or whatever. Mm-hmm. However, that manifests, you know. But I would do the same thing. I would just tell myself to relax. Did you ever go through a – I think I went through a dickhead period when I was young because I'm, I was scared. I'm deeply immersed in mine right now. <laughs> Are we in it? Yeah, I, I think we may. We may be, Maverick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean it's – you know, what, what things do you take time to do throughout the day or throughout the week? Do you stop to take moments for yourself to appreciate something or like how do you keep yourself, you know – how do you keep yourself balanced? You know, I mean, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, then like if I had the, I mean, you know, there's whole groups of people that talk about meditation. There's whole groups of people that talk about doing things for others. You know, usually getting, if you stare out at the people who you see who are octogenarians and mm-hmm. stuff that are happy and excited and really feel good about their lives, every time I look at it, they in some way, they're outwardly looking, meaning that they're working towards helping other people. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's, I think that's the big transition. Because when you're young, you feel like you have to fight for yourself. And you do. You know I mean? You know, your mom and dad aren't going to take care of you forever. Nobody's going to give you your dreams. You know, nobody's going to do all that for you. And so it creates this, this energy of you working for yourself. But eventually some part in the middle of the road, I think you have to start using a different map because if you keep using the same tools that got you through your childhood and through your young adulthood, you kind of, I think maybe end up in the same place. I'm not really sure what the answer is, but I feel like life is asking all of us to, I mean, I think it's part of why we age and don't stay young and beautiful forever is we're supposed to be asked to, go into another stage of our life. Mm-hmm. And I think for every person it's different, but I know for my mother, for example, my mother is in her early sixties and is happier now than she's ever been. And part of that transition for her was learning to kind of like herself on her own terms. And the second that transition happened, kind of forgiving herself for the things that she was disappointed in herself about. She ended up joining the Peace Corps and she went to Romania and she's dedicated the whole last like 15 years of her life towards gypsy rights. And the weird thing people say when I say, them, oh, what a nice person or whatever. The funny thing is she's not doing it to be nice. She's doing it because she likes it. And it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting to live in Bucharest, Romania and 
and work with these women. They're really interesting women. And it's fun to have a reason to wake up in the morning and feel good about what you're doing and feel like, you know, she's gotten several thousand kids in school. Yeah. You know, who weren't in school and, and it makes you feel good about yourself, you, you know? And whereas the, the inverse of that is of course, you know, like why people talk about the negative relationships to drug addiction and stuff is it kind of turns you inward. You keep looking inside and the more you look inside, it's like the classic mirror thing. You just can't see anything else besides yourself. And that makes you hate yourself. It makes you look at yourself more. And it, it's kind of a, it's like falling down the stairs. You know? I've never heard that point of view before. That, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, I've been thinking a lot about it this year. You know, there's been a lot of loss this year. And, uh, for me, you know, with we're nearing the year anniversary of, of Philip Seymour Hoffman's death, yeah. and, you know, and I've lost two of my heroes. I mean, there's only two guys of my generation who like really sparked the flames of jealousy and envy in me, you know, and it was River Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. They were just major. They were able to use acting and be an artist, you know, not to be a celebrity or not. You know, they, they just went beyond that and, and they were communicating and that's always been my goal. And, and, and they both fell prey to, you know, nobody tripped them. They tripped themselves, you, you know, and if I had advice for young people now, you know, if you could just eliminate self-destruction, life is hard enough. Just love yourself and, and, and relax and hating yourself does not make you interesting Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of illusion that, 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 you know, you have to be whipping yourself or you'll turn into some arrogant prick or something. And, and it's really not true. You know, it's, it, but I, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it, you know? Well, there's a, there's a big gap between hating yourself and then thinking that, you know, you're perfect, you yeah, know, like exactly. you, there, there's a lot of room, there's a lot there. of room there, but it took me a long time to learn that. I did me too. You know, I, I, you know, and, and then w- when you do that, you vacillate a lot. You know, you go, I hate myself. Ah, I'm a genius. I was wrong to hate myself. You know, and, and of course, you know, I think I got to work with Sidney Lamet, you know, who was 83. And, and that guy kind of walked that middle path of having extreme confidence and belief in himself and being so humble and curious about other people. It was mm-hmm. really wonderful to see somebody. You know, Tom Stoppard's the same way. I got to spend a year in a rehearsal room with him. You meet, sometimes it's fun you meet the older generation of people and people who haven't atrophied into bitterness and anger and what they didn't get. Yeah. You, you, you know what I mean? And, and you can see the profession at its finest, you know, where it's not oriented on anything superficial like beauty or right. trying to show off. Right. It's oriented and trying to control. Because you can't, you can't control those factors. Not at 83, and you certainly can't. None of us can control them. Right. You know? Well, how are you feeling about, you know, approaching mid-40s and then getting into, like, are you, because you, I, I, think, I think about it a lot. It bothers me less than it did a couple years ago. You know why, I think? I mean, if you're like me, because we're about the same age, yeah. uh, you know, is a couple years ago, I felt like a really old young person. I felt like I was still kind of a young guy, but I was just really old. You go to a nightclub or something, and I'm just ancient. It's loud. And, yeah, people you know? like... and now I've crossed the board, and I realize now I feel like a really young old person. Right? Do you know what I mean? I go hang out with older people, but I'm the youngest one. <laughs> and, and, and a, but I can't, you know, there's certain, and, and in a way, there's a kind of freedom to that. Yeah. I'm not trying to be in that other room anymore. Right. And, um, 
and I like it. The air is a little bit better. I think the important thing, like one of the lessons that something that I try to work on, and something that you know that I would like to, that I wish I could convey to people, but everyone has to learn their own thing, is that you can't. It's rare that you can control outcomes, but you can control your perception of an outcome. Like you can control how you react, how you perceive it, what you can learn from it. Because you just can't control a lot of times how chips are going to fall. You can't. I'll give you a really frivolous example of that. That uh, that is. So I'm going to the Golden Globes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, "Good luck." <laughs> you know, I hope you win. You know, um, well, it's a real dog race. You know, <laughs> or something like that. And it's. It, you can't help it if people keep saying it to you. You start to think, "Well, I hope I win." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to lose. You, you, you know, I mean, you, you're a human being, right? You know, and you, I just have to kind of resist it in my head, and kind of. I even said it to my daughter this morning. She texted me. She's like, "Good luck tomorrow," because you know she's in New York. And, and I wrote back and I said, "I already won." She's like, "You did?" <laughs> like, I'm like, "No, not literally, damn it." I, 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 I mean that I'm doing what I love, and people are like patting me on the back about it. If I didn't win, who the hell did? Right? Do, you know, I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna let somebody spin this into me losing, I'm not gonna. Yeah. You know, I'm not. There's no scenario in which I lose tomorrow. I'm working with my best friend in the world on a movie that is actually kind of original that I love about family and about relationships and about exactly what we're talking about, the passage of time and how you can mature. And somebody's going to tell me I lost. You know, fuck you. you know? <laughs> I hope that's your acceptance speech if you win. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it is funny, you know, the, the Spearg brothers made this movie, The Predestination, that's also coming out right now. And for the, anybody who's seen the movie, and since I've already dropped the F-bomb, I'm going to drop Please, it again, Robert. is um, what we really wanted for the ad line of the movie is for it to say, Predestination. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and, 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 that would be, and, and for those who see the movie, they'll know what the hell we're talking about. There was, yeah, there was well, just, just on a tangential topic. There was a great Dudley Moore movie called Crazy People, uh-huh. and, yeah. and the whole idea was like basically this this insane asylum. They started writing ad copy, and it started it started like sweeping the nation. And it was because it was really honest. It was like yeah. Jaguar for men who want to get hand jobs from strange women they hardly know. But I think that would totally. That's exactly who wants to buy a hand job. The, a Jaguar. <laughs> Hand job. What? Buy- <laughs> uh, did did um, the predestination? Was it the same guy who did Daybreakers? Yeah, that was a fucking great movie. Well, I love Daybreakers. These guys are cool. They're two twins. They're twin brothers, not two twins. They're twins. They're twins. Even. It's not two pairs of shoes. It's a pair, a of, pair shoes. of shoes. Yes. Um, anyway, they're twins. M- Peter and Michael Spearg. And you know, they look and th- you know they just talk and work and about movies with the same kind of passion of all the people I've worked with who are the best. I mean, even if you don't, you know, it's, it's hard to make a really good genre movie. You know, it's hard. Like if you go see those, you know, the original Assault on Precinct 13 or John Carpenter's The Thing or, um, you know, the really, uh, even all those old gangster movies, you know, when some of them are really good and they, they survive, um, it's because somebody put a lot of thought into them. In a way, I kind of think it's the highest form is when you can tell a really, really entertaining story and have it be about something. Because on one level, it's kind of easy to make an art film that's about something because all it's trying to do is it be about something. You, you know? right. But if you could make a movie – and then movies that just shamelessly entertain their – you know, I, I, 
they, I get bored with those really quickly too. You know, they just, you know, if you're just flipping cars and showing tits or, right. you, you know what I mean? That's pretty boring. But if you can make a genre movie that also has ideas at work, um, it's kind of the, it, it can be the most exciting thing to do. And that's what these guys are trying to do with Daybreakers and Predestination. They're making, um, really entertaining movies that also make you think. Right. And do you think that's why, cause it, you've done a handful of films that are sort of like dystopian future films mm-hmm. where like the not too distant future, it's sort of just, it's yeah. this topic that is in the not too distant, the not too future. distant future. Yeah. I love uh, those yeah. It, because I, I guess sort of by the nature of their construction are kind of like up there about an idea. It's a commentary on mm-hmm. this is a way that culture could go. If you aren't careful see, for me, for example, if somebody were to give me a script about the story of Trayvon Martin, it'd be interesting, but man, it'd be hard to make that not a, TV movie, mm-hmm. you know, whereas the way that cinema works best is to take something like The Purge and say, all right, you want to take, we'll talk about class warfare. You want to talk about the discrepancy of wealth. Let's imagine a futuristic society where rich people sit on their treadmill and flip channels watching while poor people kill themselves. Right. Let's imagine wild and these crazy rich people don't even care <laughs> that, you know, and then you watch it and, but it's set in this, um, futuristic society where you're not dictating to an audience. Oh, this is bad. This is good. This is this, this, you just present the idea and you make it scary and fun to go see you. And, oh my God, this house going to get broken into or not. You right. Know? But underneath the thing, I mean, I'm not saying the purge is a perfect film or I'm not saying it isn't. I just, that's what I love about good genre movies is they have this subversive idea. You know, there, there's a lot. Our country is dealing with a lot of issues of class. The world is, you know, the, the, there is a large discrepancy of wealth and a lot of the environment is being destroyed by a lot of rich people who want to consume things and they don't want to stop. And a lot of poor people are suffering, but they're not educated and they don't know. I mean, this is the same war that's been going on throughout the history of time. And, and, if you make some college professor um, speech about it, everybody falls asleep. <laughs> but if you can put it in art, you know? I mean, even take something like, uh, I'll take a, the movie Sinister, which is a horror movie. But at the, what I loved about Scott Derrickson is he was saying to me, like, look, this is a huge metaphor for how men uh, oftentimes put their ambition in front of their family. He wants to write a hit book more than he wants, you know, I mean, he, he, the ambition in him opens the door to incubus, you mm-hmm. know, uh, 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 to, to the, his demons, right? Well, in this movie, it's literally a demon. Now, if you don't make that movie scary, then it's stupid, right. you, you know what I mean? <laughs> but if it's actually really scary, and then at the heart of it, it's a film about a guy betraying his own marriage with his own need for his own ego. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think it's interesting that it is about. It's kind of the same way that you know, uh, like cartoon satire. It's almost cartoonish in a way that because it's it, there's a, like a layer of separation, you know, that makes it exactly like what you're saying, where it's not just like right here, right now, like the not too distant future. It's, everything's yeah. a little. See, um, I think you know. I mean, I think like with what's going on in France right now and everything, the the power of the cartoon is is the power of humor. You know, and which is that humor is the great leveler of hypocrisy. You know, if you can make the right joke, 
you make somebody feel really foolish because you show their hypocrisy, mm-hmm. you, you, you know? And it's a really powerful medium. That's the, the cartoons are amazing that way. Yeah. Because they just, the great cartoon just makes your brain go, oh, right, that doesn't make any sense at all, <laughs> you know? Um, so. Uh- it, this might be a corny question, and I apologize. I'm a corny dude. Well, okay, good. Okay, good. It, was the process of making Dead Poet Society, did you feel as inspired during that process as I felt when I watched the movie and was like, oh, my God, this has opened up. Like, that movie completely, and I'm sure everyone tells you this, completely opened up, and I was the right age for it. I was like, yeah, almost, right. I was like that. I was your yeah. guy. We were right there. Did it feel like you were making a movie, or did when you were making, did you were you like, oh fuck yeah, sees the? I mean, this is all yes, yes. I didn't even realize it. I mean, the funny thing is, the answer is that movie changed my life. When people say, "What was your favorite movie?" I have different answers on different days, but there's only one movie that changed my life, and it was Dead Poet Society. But I wasn't even aware. You know, when you're a kid, you just do things. Like I just thought that's what making a movie was like. You know, I mean, Norman Lloyd was on the movie. He played the principal, you mm-hmm. know, Mr. Anderson, sit down. You know, yeah. that, that guy. Um, well, he had been in the theater in the Mercury Theater Company with Orson Welles. And, and we were all goofing around at lunch one day. And this, this old dude comes up to me and he says, you know, you guys have no idea what's happening. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, this is one of the greatest experiences of your life. And you don't even know it. You know, because we just kind of, you know, young people just think, uh, they're owed this or something. Right. Just, they're, everything they get, they're owed. You right. Know? And I didn't realize until later, it was a couple of years later, I called my agent. I was like, you know, I, I have this, this really good idea. He's like, what is it? He goes, I want to get my friends together. And like, we're just going to start, you know, every other night, we're just going to read plays. Just us. We're just going to read plays. And it'll be, everybody's in the club is going to read it. They get to select a play and they get to cast it. And so then you have to be in whatever they, your friends cast. And he burst out laughing. I'm like, what? Like the Dead Poets Society? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is what it was. And, and I didn't even, I mean, what I mean is like this stuff went inside me. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Carpe diem. All that stuff, you know. Oh, captain, my captain. What will your verse be? You know, all this stuff was like being funneled into my brain. But I didn't even realize it. It's, it's been the ethos of my life. Um, and I don't think I even knew it. I actually haven't watched the, I haven't watched the film in a few years. And I certainly haven't watched it since Robin passed away. And I, I would imagine that it's probably that much more like... Wow, you know, like it, it'd probably be a, I don't know, it might, it might be one of those ones that would be hard for me to get through without being like, huh, there's something in my eye. Like it, it, like it, it would be I, kind I, of I an intense experience. I I could not. Yeah. Yeah, I know for a fact. I mean, you know, that movie deals with suicide. That movie deals with, um, you know, the whole, what that whole movie is, is about is, you know, finding your voice and letting your voice be heard despite the great pull of the universe towards everybody being the same and, and uh, a great, you know, uh, applause for mediocrity that happens all the time, you know? And um, so for me, I couldn't watch the film now. I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch it again. Um, But I see clips from it. Sometimes they make me look at it at talk shows and things like that. And, um, it's very strange. I mean, it's a very, very powerful movie, but 
at the core is a really real argument. I mean, meaning depression is real. Um, gather ye rosebuds while you may, you know, life is passing, you know, what, uh, food for worms, lads, food for worms. Remember when Robin yeah, says of course. that, you know, um, I remember there's, I can't remember, there's some scene where he makes us look at the photographs of the... Oh, of all the other, of the, just the other, the old, the students old, who are old, old and dead. You know, yeah. Remember me, you know, you know, carpe diem, you know, it'll be, be strange to, you know, think about that, you know, and in one way, I don't want to let Robin's life all be owned by the, by the passing of it, you know, so much brilliant work, so much happiness he brought to people. Yeah. So much. I think that's why people were so devastated. We all, he made us all so happy. It was so hard to imagine that he didn't do that for himself. Right. Right. That, that, that was, that was, I mean, we've talked, we've talked about that too, that that is, is that it was such a crime that he wasn't able to connect with that. Ah, So frustrating. I mean, even if you just, even if you just made one, if you were able to make one person happy in your life, that's a good thing. But to make millions and millions of people happy for four, you know, 40 years and still not be able to feel like, not, not feel it. Yeah. But you know, I saw that on the, on this, you know, anybody who worked with him, you know, for every high, there's a low, you know, you don't, there's, all, all that expending of of all that energy, all that going out, yeah, has has a cost, you know. Well, and it's also, I mean, you know, I don't know if I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like a lot of performing can be, in a way, sort of you know, distracting yourself and running away from shit that you really don't want to face or deal with, you know, like putting yourselves in other bot, in other people's lives. Absolutely. And don't forget, you know, when there's any, just to, on Robin, if there was any criticism to his work when he was alive, you know, the criticism always revolved around his tendency towards being incredibly sentimental. There was a real hurt there, you know? A lot of times in his work, you know, he was quick to cry. You know, but people didn't really want him to do that. You know, and they criticized, you know, there was so much heart in him. And he's, and I think a lot of our comedians are that way. Buster Keaton, you know, these guys are just, just immense empathy and matched with intelligence. You know, you can't be that funny without being really smart, right? right. You, you know, and so, but with that incredible intelligence and that kind of sensitivity doesn't mean you have the necessary toughness right. to keep looking at all those truths. Right. Well, the chatter, the like the internal chatter, can be overwhelming. It must have been for him. Must have been. Do you have that at all? Do you have like you know? Are you able to shut your brain off with vast amounts of drugs and alcohol? (laughs) 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 With self medication, yes. Um, You know, I don't know. That's a good question because I'm a pretty restless person. You know, when you just mentioned the thing about people running away from things, you know, I. I work pretty nonstop and one does, I sometimes have to wonder what, what is making me so restless, mm-hmm. you know, but hopefully it's love. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love what I do, you know, and it's nothing feels better than sitting inside a movie theater and listening to people laugh or watching people respond to boyhood the way they do or why like I making people feel, you know what I mean? I think that's really all of us. We just hate apathy. We hate sleepwalking through our lives. This great line at the end of 
predestination is, is this movie is this huge riddle. You know, it's an it's a it's an infinity symbol. It's an enigma inside an enigma. It doesn't make any sense. And at the very end, the character I don't want to ruin it. it won't ruin it because the movie's totally. It's, it's a movie you need to if you like it, you want to see it three times anyway. So it doesn't matter. There's no spoiling anything. He looks around the camera. He says, "I know who I am. But do you know who all you zombies? But I don't know who all you zombies are. You know, and, and it's a right out of Heinlein's story, and it's a it's it's a real it's a reaching out on the page that Heinlein's doing of saying, Hey, are you asleep? Are you listening? You know, this is your life. And it's happening right now. And um and don't be a zombie. Mm-hmm. You know? Um ask yourself some questions. Think a little bit. You know, I mean that's what Heinlein was saying. And um here it's you know, was that story written in the fifties and the question still resonates. It's still like a Zen cone pings out you know it's kind of the same there's kind of that theme in Gattaca too sure is I didn't save anything for the swim back you know I mean there's you know remember that moment yeah uh, you want to know how I did it and um it's it's all this stuff is happening you know that great line I forget who said it you know the creation didn't happen it's happening you know so so do you feel like ultimately at uh, and something just hit me in which is you said your mom was in her early 60s, so she was a young mom. She's 18 when I was born, yeah. I often say she was 17. She always gets mad at me. I was 18. I'm like, Mom, you still sound white trash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, she, like, it's, she's like, hey, me, me, you know, it's still a teen pregnancy, darling. Yeah. And you were 17 when you got pregnant, so don't tell me, you know. I know where I am. I know where I come from. Did you grow up? Is, te- is that where you're from? Are you from Texas? Austin, Texas. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And when, and when did you move? Did you go to New York first or LA first? I went. I mean, you mean I went to New York when I graduated high school, but my mom and I traveled around. I mean, I went to, I think, 10 different schools in my 12 years of education. You yeah. know, so, um, you know, I was Atlanta, Brooklyn, Vermont, Connecticut, um, a bunch of different places. I graduated high school in New Jersey. Okay. And who, uh, I, I'm just curious, who are, who are your all-time favorite authors and who are you, because re- I know you're, you're, a, you're a huge literary guy from what I understand. Well, not as much as I, one thing that um, my kids have done is they've just annihilated, that and my bad eyesight um, <laughs> has annihilated my reading recently, but I hope to get it back. I'm reading a Jim Thompson novel right now and I forgot how much I love him, you know, and I love... Steinbeck and Tolstoy, you know, my, my real favorites are not necessarily um, the brilliant Thomas Pynchons of the world or the – I love the people like James Baldwin who can, who can give you a really profound story that's really easy to read. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the genius behind Tolstoy is that, you know, you don't, you don't need a high school education to read Anna Karenina. I mean, he's got these Russian names and it make it a little hard. But he was very um, – he worked very hard to find the right word that just told the story. Yeah. And he was very human. I mean, you know, there's a – Rick never talks about it because Rick is not nearly as pretentious as I am. But, you know, the, the, the beating heart of, <laughs> of, of boyhood is, is Tolstoy's um, childhood, boyhood, and youth, you know, about his book on, on childhood. And there is something Tolstoyan about boyhood in its absolute simplicity you know there's just nothing fabulous happens in the movie it's absolutely ordinary and that's the way Anna Karenina feels to me 
you know. It's the way Grapes of Wrath, really simple. It's not these huge paragraphs of mind-blowing genius writing. It's just really honest and insightful into the way people think, you know. And so that's my favorite kind of writing. That, and I do love science fiction too. You yeah. know, I mean, I mean, and you take Tolkien, for example. Tolkin or, um, you know, what's his name? The brilliant dude who wrote Game of Thrones. Oh, it's George R. R. Martin. He's not, not so, so fabulous writers. You know, C.S. Lewis, they write very clearly. You know, it's pretty easy to read. You know, you can, you can get it at 13 or 14, and then it means even more to you at 65, you know? Um, my dad just reread the Tolkien again. He wrote me, he's like, wow, man, that guy was smart. I mean, it's great writing that is very approachable. That's my favorite stuff. There, there, you were talking about boyhood. You're like, yeah, you know, like there aren't these giant, there were so many moments in that movie where I was like, it's like, there'd be a long shot of him driving in the car and be like, there's going to be a car act. I kept thinking like something really horrible was going to happen. It was like, oh no, it's just life. But you know, that's the, that's where the genius of the movie lives because you know, that's how we feel about our own lives. Which so people often say, like, why do you enjoy vacation so much more when you look back at the pictures and when you're on it? You know, and it's because in our daily life we're worried something bad is going to happen. <laughs> you know, we most of the day we're always kind of you know. I mean, it's it's our human preservation instinct. We don't want to fall down. We're worried we're going to get a car wreck. We're worried we're oh wait, am I getting a cold? Um, you know, it's like it, it's like we're always worried. Um, does she like me? Maybe she doesn't love me anymore. You know, like all that stuff is in. And when we can look at the past, we go, oh, that, that did work out. She did like me. Prom went great. <laughs> you know? um, Are you better with relations? Do you think if you do feel more in control or better of your in, in, you know, interpersonal relationships now? Like, do you feel like, I'm kind of getting it now? It, 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 um, I'm better than I was, I guess. But, I mean, I can hear my daughter like, just snickering if I were to say, you're good at it. Jeez, Dad, you're terrible. <laughs> you know, you, whenever you th- – the trick, I think, to having a decent relationship, if there was one, is 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 a listening and being open. So as soon as you think you've got it all on, you're already losing. You, you, you know, because as soon as you think you know what's happening, you're probably not listening. Well, and here's a trick too. Uh, and, and weirdly, doing podcasts has helped me in my interpersonal relationships is – just like when you said, listen to someone, and the way that you know that you're doing that is if you're thinking about what you want to say so you can say it as soon as they're done talking, mm-hmm. you're not listening to the exactly. other person. That's, it'll be my – got to tell you my favorite um, acting advice I ever got, right, which is you know, this, this acting teacher was saying was the, the, sec- the student comes up to him and goes, you know, I know, I know the secret to, to acting is, is really, really listening, but just how can I be a better listener? And the, this acting teacher – uh, said to this kid, um, "All right, tell me what um, tell me what you had for breakfast." Okay, so you tell me what you had for breakfast. I had to. I couldn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 what a, that's what a, somebody's really thinking. But yeah, so when you if you're really thinking about what you're going to say next, you're probably not listening. <laughs> well, uh, we're just, we're at, we're almost like this is it. We are almost out of time with you, but I, but I do want to pitch you one idea, which is that we go in, we take the movie explorers. And sink a uh, hundred million dollars into the last ten minutes of the film, and put in like crazy fucked up alien effects. Yeah. So when you guys go into go into space, just like it's the most like, insane like Guillermo del Toro like yeah computer generated amazing yeah. crap and, and um, insane also practical like Christopher effects, Nolan CG. do the last ten minutes you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be that would be cool. Okay, good. Well, yeah. as long as you're on board with it, yeah. I can at least if, pretend. If I could that just do happen. the voiceover, so my voice isn't like this, <laughs> but we have our own spaceship. <laughs> 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 well, it's good to see you, man. Thank you so much for being here. And Predestination. When is Predestination? Uh, yesterday. It, it came out, out yesterday. yesterday. It's okay. on VOD now, and it's out in theaters and on VOD um, right now. Excellent. Well, uh, I hope you're doing well in general, and I hope we get to chat again soon. And uh, thanks so for being here, so man. Good. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. You maverick, you. You maverick. Mm. Let's go lead our maverick life. Mm-hmm. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.